Good morning. Seems kind of dead in here. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was the lights or what, but I'm sitting there. Probably the weather. I you know, spent the last two or three days out in the, it was almost 80 degrees up at the track the other night. Man, was that nice. I got to tell you, that was fantastic. We're supposed to be running around coaching up the kids, but me and the other coaches were all lounging around on the benches just like, wow, this is a, look at the kids run. <laughs> you know, just let them go, you know. It was a nice, beautiful evening. And I guess tonight they're calling for plunging temperatures again. And sorry, Jim, I think we're supposed to get snow. <laughs> so I, who, who knows what's going <laughs> to Anyways, uh, you know, it's great to see everyone here today. And uh, I want to start off with a story. One of my friends is an artist. He's a really good artist. And what I mean by artist is he's not like a one of the starving artists where they'll, you know, like put out paintings for, you know, three for ten dollars or something like that. Starving artist kind of thing. Some of his uh, art pieces are thousands of dollars. I mean, they're very, very, very impressive pieces. And there are people who collect some of his work and, and do different things. And uh, when he was first getting started, he. Uh, uh, he took on a project. It was a massive project. He was to uh, he was going to paint this this very wealthy family. Uh, they had like a, a foyer area with these real tall ceilings and stuff. And they wanted him to paint some different um, some paintings up on there. Okay, and we're not talking Sistine Chapel or anything like that, but. We're talking, you know, high off the floor. You got to get the scaffolding out. You got to, you know, the whole thing. And so he uh, he ordered special equipment, uh, special kinds of brushes, different things to 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 do all this. And he got in there, and uh, at the time he was also our uh, defensive coordinator for the football team. This was back when Graham was really good, and so there was a lot of pressure to you know keep doing well with that. And then they, his regular school stuff, and his kids were very, very little at that time. And so he gets in there to, to start this, uh, this painting. And as he's trying to paint the, the nozzles on the, some of the uh, airbrush stuff wasn't working. And then the, 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 the paint wasn't, wasn't sticking to the surface the way it should. It was dripping, and it was starting to, to smear, and he started to panic. He was like, I, I, I can't do this. I, well, you know, what have I done? I've got myself into this. Oh, you know, I'm just starting out as an artist, and you know, the word's going to get out. You know, he can't do, he can't handle this kind of work. And so he called his wife, and he, he, he said, he said, I just broke down. I, and this is a guy that was a, he played linebacker in, in, in college. Right, he was a big, big dude. He's like, he said, I was laying there, I was just crying, I can't do it, the paint's all messed up, and the, the nozzles won't work, and the, ah, it was just a mess. And so he had to talk to the family and said, I can't, I, I'm not going to be able to do this, I can't finish it, it's a mess, you know. And the, the couple was very uh, patient with him, very forgiving, well, that, that's all right, you, you know, you tried, you know. And so later he was really bummed out about it, and he was... He was like, I can't believe I did that. I, oh, it was a mess. And I said something like, 
well, the Lord won't let you have, uh, you know, won't let you bear any more than you can handle. I mean, it was, everything's for a reason. And he goes, yeah, but the thing is, the Lord didn't have anything to do with that. I put myself in that position. I, I put myself in a position that I, I was not ready for. I, I, I took on too much. I, I wasn't in a spot where I could, could be successful. And, you know, God didn't put me there. This isn't a trial from God. This isn't a... This was me and my foolishness trying to take on something I wasn't ready for. And then I had to, had to pay the consequence of that. And I got to thinking about that. And, you know, we talked about, you know, trials and those types of things. That was a long time ago. But it got me thinking, you know, last week we talked a little bit about trials and you know, why does God allow trials to happen and, and uh, you know, we talked about how a lot of that is to help us to become more complete as Christians. Um, and um, so I was thinking this week, the difference between trials and temptations, because they're different things. A lot of the times I think we think of them as being the same thing, and they're not. According to James chapter 1, uh, verse 2 and 4, which we talked about last week, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, whoops, uh, uh, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So we talked about, you know, there is a purpose behind trials when we, when we face trials. They're designed to test your faith, with the end result being perseverance, or as, as uh, New American Standards, your endurance to help you to, to endure. Trials are designed to put someone to the test. It's like, a, like to test a person's quality of faith, to demonstrate its validity. It's, it's like a teacher gives, hey, we're going to take a test at the end of the chapter, see if you've learned anything. Trials are often, I believe, used in that manner. Oh, hey, you, you, you learned an awful lot at church. You talk a good game. Let, let's, let's see how much you, you, you've picked up here. So, you know, I'm not saying God constantly puts us to trials and stuff, but there are times we deal with trials. And as we make it through it, the result, end result is, is endurance. Now... One of the, the scriptures that often comes up when you talk about trials and temptations, if you, would, if you got your Bible today, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the Corinthian church was, I believe it was planted by, by Paul. And he's had a lot of problems with the church. Uh, you have uh, sort of false teachers going around teaching some things that aren't necessarily you know what Paul wanted taught. And uh, in Second uh, Corinthians chapter eleven, verses twenty-three through twenty-eight. Yeah. Um, let's see, eleven twenty-three twenty-eight. Pages are sticking together here. Okay. Uh, where am I at? Sorry, gang. I'm a little discombobulated. I switched Bibles and now I'm all messed up. 
Oh, here we are. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so in far more labors and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Paul's talking about, you know, his, you know, people were bragging about their, you know, different things. And Paul's going to make the point, if anybody ought to brag for being a Christian, it ought to be me. Listen to what I put up with. Verse 24. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. That would be absolutely terrifying to me. <laughs> we went to the beach a couple years ago, and I waded out to about my waist. I was scared. All I could see were sharks and things swimming around. I'm like, no way I'm going out there. Riptide's going to get me. And so I just kind of sat on the beach and picked up shells. Here's Paul. He's been in the water for a, yeah, a day and a night. I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often with, without food and cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there's a daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Paul's gone through the ringer. He's been through some trials in his life. He's seen some things. He suffered because of the message of Christ. But beyond that, he suffers, you know, these types of trials sometimes by the permission of God. Why? To produce endurance, perseverance. It's interesting, the Bible speaks of something that, he, that Paul called the thorn in the flesh. And I want to look at that for a second. In chapter 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10 is what I want to look at. Beyond all the suffering that Paul had, uh, had gone through in various trials, all of the things that he suffered on behalf of the, the message of Christ, he's also going to be put under trial by, as Paul calls it, a messenger of Satan, and he's going to beg God to remove this thorn in the flesh, this, this problem here. Let's read here, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. For this reason, to keep me from exalting myself. Now, he could, he could go around like, hey, man, have you, you been shipwrecked yet? You, you, you got the lash yet? Don't, don't, you, uh, you know, you've been uh, you're beaten up? Well, don't tell me, <laughs> you know, all your problems. See, I, I'm the super Christian here. I have been through it. Now, he could easily have done that. But, verse 7, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. 
Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Those are the things that Paul wants to boast about. Now, there's a lot of speculations about what this thorn in the flesh was. I've read a lot of different things, and for many years I had my own conception of what it was, and I've, I've changed that a little bit, and we'll, I want to talk about that here in just a second. Uh, but we're not really told clearly in the text of the Bible what this problem was, this thorn in the flesh. Is it a trial? Was it something, some temptation that was overtaking Paul? Was you know something going on there to, that he was wrestling with? Whether or not we know the exact nature of the problem, I think there's a lesson to be learned you know, that we can all apply. Now, some have told me in the past, people that I've, other people I've talked to, that this was some kind of a personal sin. Something's going on, Paul can't lick it. We all seem to be vulnerable to certain temptations, certain things we got a lot to watch out for that can draw us in. And I thought that for a long time. I mean, there were some things in my life that I've never been able to lick. I'm like, well, maybe God is, you know, I'm dealing with this, and it keeps me humble. There's no doubt about that. Anytime I want to exalt myself, I just remember who I really am, some of the things that I have to deal with. That keeps me humble. But after studying the Bible and really looking at this, I think it was more than that. I don't... Now I look at it, I have to go back. A lot of times when I would, uh, there were certain things, certain sins you could call them that I dealt with and continue to deal with. I got onto this idea, maybe it's a trial. You know, I got to keep working at it. You know, God's, I've come to the conclusion, no, that's called temptation and it's willfully stumbling into sin again and again. That's not a trial. Trials and temptations I think are different. And here, in this case, I think it's pretty, you know, something going on there. Others suggest that the thorn in the flesh was probably uh, a person who had been messing with Paul, a ringleader uh, of the Corinthian conspiracy. There were uh, other people within the church who were bad-mouthing Paul. Paul calls them false prophets. They were preaching some things that were not Pauline, nothing, you know, nothing from God. Chapter 10 through 13 speaks a lot of dealing with false prophets. So if you look at it in the context of all of that, this thorn in the flesh was probably somebody within the Corinthian church that was driving Paul crazy. Some of you in church leadership go, amen. <laughs> we do that to each other all the time. This ringleader was responsible for tearing up Paul's church and causing Paul all sorts of trouble. And Paul is, is praying to God, you know, what am I going to do with this person? Can't you help me out here? Help me out, God. He asked him three times and it might leave me. God's answer is, is beautiful. He says, look, my grace is sufficient for you. I know this guy's a pain. And he's causing you great harm. 
But you're going to deal with it. Because that's what leaders do. You deal with it. My grace is sufficient for you. Through this trial of leadership, you're going to learn how to be how to gain endurance. Because the weaker you are, the more you got to rely on me. My power, God says, is perfected in your weakness. The more trouble you have, the more you call out on me, the greater my grace is to you so that I can demonstrate my power through your weakness. If we all went around through life perfectly strong, with no, there would be no need for God's grace. Therefore, Paul says, look, I'm going to boast about my weaknesses then. You know, I'm not going to talk about how I got the lash and I got all these other things. If I'm going to boast, I'm going to go around saying, you know, I, just, I have to rely on God to help me out here. Because without God, I, 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 I don't know if I can do this. Therefore, verse 10, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. The point is that through this trial, which I think was a trial operated by God under his divine authority, Paul was able to keep his pride in check and begin to understand that the weaker the human instrument the greater God's grace is going to shine through. So for many years, I looked at this and I thought, well, you know, Paul, he had temptations too. He had, he had some besetting sin, something that was really getting him, and God was using it to, be, to keep him humble. But then I read in the Bible, God doesn't tempt anybody. These aren't temptations. This is a trial that Paul's going through. Temptations are something altogether different. Many times we succumb to temptation and the result is lots of trouble, all caused by our own sin. Sin is not a word that the world likes to hear these days. You call somebody on their sin, don't you judge me. Who are you to judge me? He who is without sin cast the first stone. You hear this, you know, all this stuff all the time. We can't blame God for the troubles that we find ourselves in. When we find ourselves in trouble because of our sin, because of our willful disobedience to God, and then we find ourselves in a bad situation can we blame God for that? I don't think so. I've learned to blame myself, just like my friend did. God didn't put me in this problem. I got in here, and in my pride, I thought I could paint a masterpiece. I was going to do the Sistine Chapel. And what happened? I, I ruined it. First John chapter 2 talks a little bit about the nature of, of sin. And I know, talking about sin is not in style these days. But, as long as the Bible talks about it, that's what I want to talk about. So, First uh, John, chapter 2, verse 16. 
think we get a little insight into what sin is, the, the, the base of what drives temptations. And we're all tempted by, by different things, but I think temptation is founded in three things. And here in, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, it says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, that's not from the Father, but is from the world. I believe that sin and temptation is wrapped up in these three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Now, what in the world does this mean? What is the lust of the, the, the eyes? I mean, what, I can't see very good anymore, and what's the deal here? But these are powerful. Now, I think, you know, in some ways, these things are intertwined in with, with natural desires that people have. Sexual desire, for example, is totally natural. It's God-given. It's meant to to be enjoyed among God's people within the context of marriage. There's nothing wrong with those types of impulses. But many times we succumb to temptation based on this, this lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes. I had a, uh, one of my, I think I've told this story before, but uh, when I was in college taking some psychology classes, one of my favorite experiments was this one we read about was this guy who uh, they were trying to do uh, some uh, work on addiction studies. You know, they were trying to find out what is it that causes people to be so addicted and, and, and hurt themselves. And, and this was uh, cognitive psychology, so the idea is that, you know, your actions, the things that you do is a byproduct of your learning, the way that you've learned. And so if you have problems in certain areas, you've Basically, you've taught yourself to, to do that. Well, in this study, they had this rat, and they directly hot-wired this contraption straight into the rat's brain, specifically into a region of the brain called the hypothalamus. Okay, and the hypothalamus is involved in euphoria, uh, many of the things that are activated during addictions. So what they did was they had this elaborate cage set up, and you got this lever over here, just a little bar. And every time the rat would push down on the bar, he'd get a little zap to his hypothalamus, basically simulating you know, a shot of cocaine or, or whatever. Well, of course, the rat's constantly running over to that bar, and he's just loving it. So they said, we got to do something if we're going to solve addiction. So what they did was they, within the cage, they put a metal plate in there about yay long. And they wired it up to just electricity. So if you touched it, you get zapped, like shocked. Not the good kind, the, I mean like, ah! And the idea was, the rat is going to teach himself that it is not in his best interest to go push the lever, because every time he does that, he's going to have to get zapped. So we talked about it in our small groups. Well, you know, this is what's going to happen. The rat's he's, he's going to, frequency's going to go down. He's going to finally solve it. Sure enough, the rat 
continued over and over and over, running across that plate, getting zap, 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 zap. Because he had to get his fix. So they said, let's redesign this. Let's attach the, uh, the zapper to the handle. A little more direct. Easier for the rat to correlate the two. And the rat constantly was over there just pushing down on, eh, 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 but he was, he was getting his fix at the same time. We started to talk about that and looked at that. It's really no different with human beings in the midst of addictions. We know we're going to get hurt. We know that taking drugs, doing this, doing that is going to be painful, that it's going to wreck lives, that it's going to hurt. But we still keep pushing the lever again and again and again to get the fix. That's all rooted in, in some ways within biology. Let's go back to Genesis, all the way back to chapter 3. So we're talking about the idea that sin within, is within this idea of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. So let's go back to the first sin. And of course, that's the, the Adam and Eve. So here we are in the garden. Everything's perfect. And bear with me. I'm going to read this through here. So Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, as God said, you shall not eat from, in, from any tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the, the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you'll die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw, lust of the eyes, she saw it, that the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh, and it was a delight to the eyes, lust of the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one Wise. That's the boastful pride of life. Look how wise I, I can be. Wow. She took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and you know the rest of the story. To me, the most heartbreaking part of that is they hid themselves. Hid themselves from the Lord. The one that you want to be connected to the most. But after their sin, after they realized what they had done, when their eyes had been opened, they wanted to hide from God. It's no different than us today. When we willfully disobey God, when we... We do things we know that are wrong. The Bible says to people, if you know what the right thing to do is and you don't do it, that's sin to you. And the result of that is a separation from God. The temptations that we face are usually one of those three things. 
The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life. It's the thing that brought down Adam and Eve. It's the thing that continues to bring us down today. Things haven't changed. Like Adam and Eve, when we sin, we tend to hide from God. We're separated from Him. I don't feel like going to church this Sunday. I don't feel like reading the Bible. I don't feel like listening to Christian music. Uh, yeah, I'm going to put on ACDC. You know, I, don't, I don't feel real religious right now because I know I screwed up or whatever. You know, so there's a separating there. Just as they suffered, Adam and Eve, because of their temptation, we suffer the consequences of our own sin. People often blame God for the situations that they find themselves in because of their own sin. Because of these things that I have done, willfully disobeying God, I now am paying the consequence. So instead of accepting responsibility, I'm going to shake my fist at God. How could you do this to me? Could you put me in this situation? Somebody I've I've recently talked to has found themselves in a horrible situation. But again and again and again, the result of the situation is because of sin in their life. You can cry about how unfair it is and how did I end up here. You ended up there because you willfully, defiantly disobeyed God. You're paying the price. But I thought God forgives. Well, he does forgive. But he didn't take away the consequence. One of the worst whippings I ever got as a kid. My dad looked at me and said, I love you so much, son. I'm like, I love you too, dad. Does this mean I still got to get a whipping? He goes, oh yeah. (laughs) There was forgiveness, but the consequence was there. It was done. As I get older, I realize that life is hard enough without having to make it more difficult by intentionally screwing up. I tell this to kids at school all the time. Uh, our, Our assistant principal, if anybody ever wants to go into administration... You have to make it through. Usually they, they make you assistant principal first. It's sort of like boot camp for principals. If you can make it through that, then you're in. You, you can do it because they got to take care of all the, you know, the bad kids and all the problems. And I bet 90% of his time is wrapped up in the same 10 kids over and over and over and over and over again. And I had a kid like that in class who was just constantly screwing up. And finally I just told him, I said, don't you... Don't you realize life's hard enough without constantly going out of your way to screw up all the time? What are you, what are you doing this to yourself for? Oh, no. <laughs> you, know, you guys have heard that. Oh, no. Kids at school are constantly in trouble sometimes. Your life's already a mess. Why do you insist on making it more difficult than what it already is? But isn't that what we do? We do the same thing. As Christians, we need to be wise and learn the difference between temptations and trials. There are many times that we find ourselves struggling because of the consequences of temptation, the the consequences of our sin. And we can sit back and say, God's going to teach me something through this. He might. God doesn't tempt anyone. Suffering because of temptation... Suffering because of sin is not a trial from God. As Christians, we need to be wise and learn the difference between temptation 
and trials. We know when facing trials, as James said, we should face them with joy, which ultimately leads to a fulfilling demonstration of God's grace in our life. Trials make us strong. Temptations bring us down. They drive us away from God. So how do you escape temptation? I mean, we all have to deal with temptation. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians. I'm so glad Paul put this in here. Because I have read this probably a million times. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's see. And of course, that's not it. Did I put it up? I didn't put it up there. Doggone it, I got the wrong one. But uh, let me just read it to you. Some of you who know the Bible a little bit better than I do, you can probably shout out the scripture when I, when I say it. Uh, oh, 1 Corinthians. My bad. Not 2. 1 Corinthians. First, uh, too many letters here. First Corinthians chapter 10. I hear a lot of pages flipping, so that's good. I... Yeah, that's better. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you'll be able to endure it. We're not talking about a trial here. We're talking about those times when you're tempted. Just simply being tempted is not a sin, I don't believe. Okay, when there are things that, that, that I see that I'm like, yeah, that's not, I haven't sinned yet. I'm getting there. <laughs> But that in and of itself is not a sin. But in moments like that, the Bible says that God has provided, if you'll just look to him, the escape, the way out, the way to deal with it, to get away. You know, it's up to you if you want to take that escape route. It might be... You know, a realization, you know, if I just get out of this situation, if I just remove myself, I can get out of this. Take off and do, do, do. Escape. It's like an animal is escaping the, the trap. Back in James, that we talked about earlier, in chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved... He will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, persevering under a trial, you get rewarded for that. With a temptation, God's just trying to get you out of there. I don't know if you're going to get the, you're not going to get the big crown for, for getting out of something you shouldn't have been messing around with in the first place. But God will give you the way out. At the end of athletic events, the Greeks used to crown the victor with a wreath. A little thing they put on her head. And, you know, do, 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 you win. And we do the same thing today. We give them a medal. Might get a little ribbon. Okay. Now, in the Christian life, of course, at the end of life, at the resurrection, we'll be brought 
to life. That's, we will receive the ultimate crown. And it's interesting in track, uh, you know, track's a relatively easy sport to coach. Kids will ask me, now, how do I, how do I run this race? How do I go? Well, every race has its strategies. <laughs> but they always look at me, I'll go, okay, here's, here's what you do. We're going to run the 400-meter dash, which is a tough race. Get out there, you run that way, really fast. When you get to the curve, turn. That's it. That's all you got to do. Many times in the Bible, God lays it out that easy. You want to live a life free from sin? Here's what you do. You, You run that way really fast, and then you turn. But as easy as it is, you'll get kids that won't listen. They'll, they'll tear out of there 100 mile an hour. We've had kids cross over lanes. Can't do that. We've had kids, uh, as they come around into the final stretch, they get their, uh, there's usually a lot of lines that kind of intersect. They end up, they started in the eighth lane, they'll, they'll finish in the fifth, and you're like, what happened? The 300 hurdles one year, we, had a, they, we set up the hurdles, and one, one lane didn't have hurdles set up. Nobody caught it. And we're running and running, and our kid, he got up there, and he was just kind of like, what do I do? And you can see the look on his face. He just jumped in the air. <laughs> so all the way around the track, hop, hop, hop. And I'm like, you should have just ran, man, go. Do what I said, run really fast. Don't worry about the other stuff. We always make it more difficult than it, than it needs to be. Well, thank God. Thank our Heavenly Father that he, he does show us the way of escape. Even in moments of temptation, God wants to get you out of there. But so many of the times we refuse to take that way of escape. God's God's, God ain't going to care. God's, God will forgive us. God is a God of grace, a God of love. And God forgives the the person who is honest and desires forgiveness. But we've forgotten a little word called repentance that's just as important. Refusing to take the way of escape. It's a life of slavery. It's like playing around with a trap. When I was a little kid... uh, we had a mouse in the house, and, and it scared me to death. First time I ever saw a mouse, he ran out under the uh, refrigerator, and then he ducked back in, and I was like, Ooh, you know, it was crazy. And I remember mom got out a mouse trap. She was like, I'm going to put this mouse trap here, and he's going to come out, and we'll, we'll catch him. Now don't mess with it. Okay. So sure enough, I'm in there poking it, looking at it. I wonder how. Snap! God, you know, scare me again. You, you know, you don't want to get horrible. Instead of just leaving it alone, I had to keep messing with it. James chapter one, verse fourteen. But each one is, uh, but each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Remember the lust of the eye, lust of the flesh. And when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. 
And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Death is separation. Guess who we're separated from? From God. Don't be deceived, my brethren. Carried away and enticed. The Greek connotates, uh, it's a word picture, like wild animals being lured into a trap. I have a, a student, he loves to trap coyotes. More power to him. I mean, I, I don't want to see it, but I don't like coyotes. They, and so he catches them, and he talks about these traps and how he gets them set up. And I'm thinking, that's the way sin is. Carried away and enticed. That, that was a fishing term in the Greek. Enticing is a fishing term that means to capture. To catch with, with bait. And what is that bait that's on the hook for all of us? We go to the last slide, I think. Yeah. One of my favorite episodes in the history of TV. All the younger kids get it. The older people are like, what is that? That's SpongeBob and Patrick playing with the hooks. Patrick is like, I sense no danger here. <laughs> you know, let's play with the hooks. And they, he'd yank on it and he'd get pulled way up into, the, you know, up into the sky and he would float back down. It was a lot of fun. And SpongeBob's like, that's a hook. Gee, Patrick, that's a hook. You, you know, you'll get yourself caught on there and... Well, what's the bait on your hook? What are they using to, to get you? What is the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life? What kind of bait does Satan use to hook you? What kind of chum does he use to throw out there to attract you? To drive you into a feeding frenzy of of sin. The hook and the trap, you know, it's different for all of us. Some of us are prone to sins of the flesh. Some are prone to the sins of the, of the eyes. Others are very boastful. Look at me, I'm such a... But the hook's a hook and, and the bait is there to trap you. But God says he will give us the way of escape if we'll look for it. If we'll find it. We don't have to chomp down on the hook. So, to me, there's a big difference between trials and temptations. We want to grow in the Christian life enough to begin to see the difference. To understand that many times we find ourselves in pretty bad situations. Not because of a trial. Not because God wants to, to test our faith for the purpose of growth and perseverance and endurance, but sometimes we find ourselves in situations because of sin, because of falling into temptation, biting down on the hook and finding yourself trapped. So what we want to do, you know, as we continue to, to work through James a little bit, and James is one of those books, again, I, it's like a whack to the shins every time you read it. I mean, because they're, they're so practical, there's so many things in there that, that I think, for people of today, it really makes a lot of sense. And that's what we want to continue to do, and uh, to, to become more like Christ, to learn how to duck out when temptation is presented, 
when the trap is laid, when the bait's laid out, we're able to say, no, not today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for everyone here today. All of us from time to time deal with trials, and we pray that we face those trials with joy, knowing that the end result is going to be endurance. And Lord, we also face temptation. And sometimes we do fall into sin because we're so vulnerable. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would guide each of us to remind us to look for the way of escape. It's not complicated. Help us, Lord, in our weakness. The Spirit is willing. The flesh can be so weak. Father, we love you today. Help us to continue to learn about this. Help us to learn how to guard against falling into temptation. We thank you for your word, which is abundant, makes it abundantly clear that these things are possible. God, we love you today. In the name of Jesus, amen.